Good morning. Welcome to everybody. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, luckiest man in the world, and delighted to welcome you to worship in the overflow this morning. We love you guys so much. We thank you for what you contribute uh, to every Sunday morning. God bless you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 today. This is the second in a message series entitled Charismata. Charismata is the New Testament word, the Greek word for... Some of y'all were here last week, right? It is the word for spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is usually how we translate the Greek word charismata. But very literally, charis is a Greek word for grace. And so the word charismata, whenever in the New Testament we talk about spiritual gifts, the word is actually grace gifts. Which means that when you become a Christian, a, a part of the grace that you receive from Christ is manifest in your life in a concrete, practical way in what we call your grace gift, your spiritual gift. It is a way that we experience the very grace and saving grace of Jesus. I, I think that's amazing. Now, typically when we talk about gifts, though, some of us, we begin to check out because we don't think of ourselves as particularly gifted. We sort of confuse the language. We think that gift must automatically mean talent, and many of us don't feel like we have any talent, so therefore, if we're talking about spiritual gifts, this must not include you. But the Bible, in every instance when spiritual gifts are mentioned, it only emphasizes that we're talking about every single believer Every single believer, there's no way that you have experienced salvation in Christ and not received one of these grace gifts. That, that's important for you to know. So maybe what you can do is sort of change the way you think about spiritual gifts. And last week we did this. I want you to maybe think about your spiritual gift more in terms of a job. Okay, because I think you understand job. So think of a spiritual gift as a divine job, a divine job that's assigned to you by the Holy Spirit for the good of others, all right? Spiritual gift, a grace gift is a divine job assigned to you by the Holy Spirit for the good of others. That's pretty much what the New Testament says. When the New Testament talks about these grace gifts, it has two things to say. First off, it says don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And the second thing is don't neglect yours. Don't be ignorant and don't sit on yours. You've got to exercise and use and perform your job that the Holy Spirit gives you. Obviously, to, to think of church, to think of the body of Christ in this way, uh, assumes some things. And it assumes that all of us understand our giftedness or understand what our job is. And it assumes that we are mature enough to be involved enough and involved in each other's lives enough to build each other up in exercising these gifts. And, and honestly, that assumes a lot. Because if we're talking about maturity, Mature Christians don't just show up at church. You understand that? They have to be formed. Mature Christians have to be formed in, in the body of Christ. And, and this morning, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and begin to understand that in the body of Christ, maturity sort of equals two things. Maturity equals loving and working like Christ. All right? Love and work. Let's think about it as we look at the scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. This is good stuff. Listen. Paul speaking and he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Underline that. I want you to live a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended to the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Here we go. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, where there's grace gifts. These are the grace gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Love and work, you get it? Uh, th this morning uh, in worship, we're, we're blessed to have several newborn babies. I, I love this. I love this. They're sort of sitting together, which could be good, could be bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just awesome. I, I love babies. I love children. It's interesting in Psalm 127, it, it compares, Scripture compares children to arrows in, a, in, in an archer's back. It says that children are, are like arrows, and blessed is the man, Justin, who has a quiver full. That's what it says. So, so in other words, you're blessed if you have a, a lot of a lot of children. Children are like arrows. I, I love that picture because, as you know, an arrow is, is a unique kind of weapon. You take the arrow out of the quiver, and then you draw it back in the bow. And there is this period of time when, when your whole job as, as an archer is to draw back that arrow and then hold it steady and, and aim it. Now, for the largest part of our lives as parents, that is our responsibility to, to grab those children and hold them steady and aim and, and point their lives. You understand? And this is what we do. It, it seems like a long time, especially some late nights, but for the most part, it's a very short period of time where we as parents have the privilege of drawing back and aiming, directing the lives of these children. Because the primary job is not just to aim, but also to... Bang! Yeah, launch. Yeah, the idea is that we aim and then we launch our, our children. And that is our task, to, to aim and, and launch them. Now, if you're listening to what 
uh, sociologists are saying these days about our culture, there's a peculiar kind of phenomenon taking place in families in the United States. And it's what some people call failure to launch. Failure to launch. What do you think we're talking about in families today? It's this really strange thing where, where a lot of children don't ever seem to grow up in our culture. As a matter of fact, some people now have pushed the, the definition of adolescence into the late 20s. In other words, if your 28-year-old son is still sitting on your couch and you're still washing his whiteies, you understand? And he's sitting there playing Call of Duty. Apparently some sociologists say just expect that. Because we're having trouble getting our children to launch these days. Probably because we're not aiming and directing their lives very well, but that's probably a second sermon. The idea is that, that maturity really isn't automatic. Just because you live a certain number of years, it doesn't automatically mean that you mature, that you are prepared for adult life. Now, some of the very same experts that talk about the failure to launch will also define that the two hallmarks of maturity. This goes all the way back to Sigmund Freud, actually. Two hallmarks of maturity. What does a young person need to be able to do in order to be considered an adult? All right? Write this down probably on the forehead of your kid. All right? Two things a young person must do in order to be considered an adult. The first one is to love, to love. In other words, in order to grow up, you have to be able to form and maintain healthy, intimate relationships. It's just a part of being a grown-up. Obviously, a lot of people have never learned to do this, but they live like children, understand? Grown-ups know how to love, and grown-ups know how to work. Work, love and work. And work, do I need to define work? Work is just to contribute. Work is to provide for yourself, to take care of yourself. It means to wash your own whiteies. You, you understand? And, and pay your own bills and, and put food in your own refrigerator. This is sort of what we're going for when we talk about raising children into adulthood. They need to learn to love and they need to learn to work. Now, I think the interesting thing is the very same sort of hallmarks of maturity hold forth in the body of Christ, in the church. Because in the church, we want people also to grow into maturity. This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Our aim, our goal is mature believers. I heard one preacher say this past week that there are a lot of Christians who've been believers a long time. Some of you have been a Christian, say, for 30 years or 40 years. But he would say that doesn't mean that you have 30 or 40 years of experience as a Christian. You've got about one year, and you've been repeating it for 30 years. You understand? Maturity's not automatic at all. It's not. Mature Christians have to be formed. They don't just show up in the pews. And my concern is in a lot of churches, including ours, there is at times a profoundly serious failure to launch. In other words, people who call themselves Christians never manage to achieve basic hallmarks in maturity. They never learn to love, and they never learn to work. Which brings us to Paul's passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Notice how he leads off here. I, I beg you, I beg you to do what? Live a life worthy. 
Live a life worthy of your calling. I know that in the culture that we live in, to be a Christian isn't necessarily considered a high calling. But for those who know Christ, and especially for Paul, to be a Christian, to be a believer, is considered a very high calling. The highest calling of all. Now, if you really don't understand what I'm talking about, in your own time, spend some time reading through the book of Ephesians up to chapter 4. Because Paul's been talking about the Christian life and describing what God has done for us through Christ. He talks about how God, in chapter 1, how God chose us from the very beginning of everything. From the very creation of the world, God already knew you, knew me. He knew everything that you would turn out to be. He put things inside you long before you were even born. He wrote out all of the pages of your life in his book. It's what the scripture says. He loved you before you had done anything to earn his love. He just already loved you. How many of you are parents? How many of you, how many of you guys were parents in the day when you got to be in the delivery room? Yeah, yeah, they didn't always do that. But yeah, I got to be in the, in the delivery room when my son was born. That was awesome. It was just awesome. I love, all, I, I love blood and guts. And, and man, I just loved that. I just loved it. It was amazing. So when my son, y'all have had breakfast already, right? Can I do this? When my son was born, first just the head emerges, you know, and it's, it's gray. It's like the color of that wall. And it's got like cottage cheese on it. It's just awful. But it's the coolest thing. <clears throat> so here's just, just his head. But we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. At this point, it could be Wade or it could be Wanda. We don't know. No idea. So, so, so we, we're here, and, and it's just a head. And all of a sudden, the, the baby's born. And the doctor said, it's a boy. And I said, I love him so much. I love him so much. I did. I loved him so much. I mean, it's my son. Now, I remind you, he's purple. He's purple and covered in this cheesy, slimy, awful. And I loved him. I loved him from the sight of him, that slimy ball. I mean, I just loved him. Now, at that point, I had never felt his tiny arms around my neck. I had never heard him say, Daddy. I mean, none of that. I just loved him from the start. And this is what the Scripture says about you. God loved you from the start before you had ever done anything. You don't earn God's love. You don't earn salvation. You can't do anything to earn the love and favor of God. Do you understand? He just gives it to you. He just loves you. And he loved you long before you came along. He always saw you and always had his eyes fixed on you and his hands stretched out to bless you. God loved you from the very beginning. And then he sends his son, Jesus, in order to pay the penalty, the price for your sins. The point is, you don't live a life worthy of his love. You don't. You can't. Haven't you figured that out yet? No matter how good a man you want to be, you always fall short of that. You just can't be the person that's worthy of God's love and grace. So God himself stepped down and he himself took the penalty for all of your sin so that you could have the righteousness, so that you could have his perfect record of holiness. He gives this to you as a gift. And then on top of that, I mean, just keep reading. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. 
your body a house, your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit begins to, to cause you to reflect all of the qualities of God. So because of the Spirit, your life bears fruit like love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control. Do you understand? And you have this power. It's a supernatural power that, that doesn't come from you. It comes from inside of you, but it's because of the Spirit inside of you. You are now capable of, of accomplishing far more than you could ever ask for or imagine. This is what Paul says. So when he says, live a life worthy... That, that word worthy there is actually a word that has to do with balancing a scale. All right, you with me? The word has to do with balancing a scale. So on this side, let's just put everything that, that Christ has done for you. Let's put the fact that he loved you from the beginning of time. The fact that he sent his son to die for you and pay the penalty for your sins. All the grace, all the mercy, all the forgiveness. The Holy Spirit that he places inside of you with power and, and love and fruit and, and all that the Spirit brings. You understand? So when Paul says live a life worthy, you put all that God has done for you on this side and then somehow you live a life that would balance that out. Let me just say good luck with that. Do you understand? All that God has done for you, you've somehow got to live a life that, that, that reflects that, a life that's worthy of that. A whole lot of people call themselves Christians, but don't live anything like a life that would reflect all that Christ has done. Paul says you've got to live a life that's worthy of the high calling of Christ. That's amazing. Now, dig in with me. Let's talk about charisma. Let's talk about gifts. Go with me to verse. I've totally lost my Bible. This isn't one of my gifts, keeping up with my Bible in the sermon, by the way. Uh, verse 11. Here we go. Now, these are the gifts. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. In the conversation about maturity, in the conversation about love and work, Paul naturally goes to talking about gifts. And he says these are the gifts. Now, there are several places in Scripture where Paul will sort of give a list of the charismata, a list of gifts. Never, ever do those gifts list match up. Understand? So Paul is never giving you an exhaustive list. He, you never find the list of all the possible gifts because I don't think a list like that is possible. God will always give the church in whatever age the gifts that they need to fulfill his purpose for that time, that, that place. So I don't really think you can ever have a list that, that explains it all. But, but here we go. Verse 11. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Is that the, is that the list you were expecting? When you think about the gifts that, that God would give the church, what would you think of? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is... Air conditioning. I mean, that would be a gift. I mean, air conditioning. Something like that. Or, or music, right? I mean, God gives music. These are the gifts that God gives to the church. Music and, and preaching and air conditioning and, and, and fried chicken and, and lots of parking. I mean, I mean, this is how we think. When you think about the gifts that God would give the church, we think of uh, practical sort of impersonal things. Because gift for us is an object. It's an object word. 
So when you say these are the gifts, we expect a list of, of objects. But that's not what we get in this passage. Instead, we get a list of what? Y'all are reading that with me, right? It's not a list of objects. It's a list of people. It's a list of people. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, understand this because this is very, very important. Gifts are people. Gifts are people. Whenever there is a need in the people of God, God always answers that need with people. God answers needs with people. Now, this is, on the one hand, exactly why some of you struggle in your spiritual life because you don't connect with people very well. You sort of keep your distance from people. And I'm not talking about being an extrovert or an introvert. I'm just talking about how we allow people to come into our lives and be involved and to bless our lives. And everybody needs people. I can remember way back in the day, there were these two older ladies that lived in Woodburn, and I used to visit them, and they would visit each other. It was, it was Florence Simpson, Nancy Williams' mother, and a lady named Willie Mae McGowan. Willie Mae McGowan, as far as I know, I don't think she ever got married. Or at least as long as I knew Willie Mae, she lived by herself. And Willie Mae used to come up to Florence's house, and they would visit, and I would drop in and visit with both of them. And the funny thing was, after a few minutes, they'd forget that I wasn't another old lady, and they'd just talk. Man, I learned a lot that, that I can't exactly unlearn. But, for example, I know why some older ladies never like to wear the pantyhose that came in the egg. But I can't tell you why in, in, in church. Yeah. Wow, these ladies were just talk. But Willie Mae was talking about being lonesome. And she did this. And she said, I just get so lonesome and bored. The only place I've got to come is up here. And now Florence was from Canada. And she'd tell you anything, and she'd say it Canadian. And so Willie Mae is saying, I'm just so lonesome. I get so bored. I just have nowhere to come up. I don't have anywhere to come back here. And Florence said, well, what you need is a man. You need a man. And Willie Mae would say, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know any men. I don't ever see any men. And then Florence, remember, she's from Canada. Florence would say, well, I'll tell you what your problem is. If you see a man, you won't ever let a man in the house. Hoose, yeah, house, hoose, yeah. You won't let a man in the house. Yeah, man. And understand, some of you, you feel really disconnected from people. And you even feel disconnected from God. You pray and you feel like God doesn't answer your prayers. But, but let me tell you, one of the secrets of the spiritual life, God tends to answer prayers with people. God tends to answer needs with people. And, and yeah, I mean, this is one of the important reasons why Christians should be involved in a church because we need each other. We need people. Now, yes, you can stay home and worship all you want, and you can pray and all that. You can do that at home. But the point is, when God wants to bless your life, he's going to use people. God answers needs with people, and God's going to meet most of your needs with people. Now, you can cut people out of your life, but in so doing, you're going to cut out most all of the ways that God would bless you. So you wonder why it seems like God's not involved in your life. It's because you've cut the people of God out of your life. I mean, stay home all you want, but then don't whine and complain that God doesn't seem to work in your life. Because he can't. God tends to answer needs with people. I mean, read your Bible. When the people, the children of Israel had a slavery problem, God answered it by sending 
Moses. Absolutely. When the people of Israel had a genocide problem in Persia, God answered the need by sending Esther. I mean, you know these stories, right? When there was a, a giant problem, a, a Goliath problem with the people of God, God sent a little boy with a sling named David. And when the world had a sin problem, God sent his son Jesus. I mean, God answers needs by sending people, always sending people. And so notice when the scripture says these are the gifts that God gives to church, what follows is a list of people because the gifts are all tied up in people. We need each other. But, but, but notice where it goes from here. The list of people that it gives in this instance are, are leaders, leadership positions in the church. And it goes on to say, their responsibility, we're talking about pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, their responsibility is to, go ahead, say it, I dare you, equip God's people to do his work. Their responsibility, the, the pastor, the teacher's responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work. I'll be honest with you, I've been your pastor 17 years, and I would say for the most part, we've had this wrong. I'll be really honest with you, and a lot of it is my weakness. We've been doing this wrong. Because I think from the very beginning, we sort of assumed that you were hiring me to do God's work for you. And I've been willing to do a lot of that because, honestly, I'm that guy. I mean, I want to please people, and I love to serve the Lord. So, so I'll work myself to death trying to do God's work on behalf of this church. But that's not my responsibility according to Scripture. Do you see that? It's just not. My responsibility is to serve God, yes, but, but I'm just one guy. And I'm not the most important guy here. I'm just one member of this body of Christ. And I have a spiritual job that's assigned to me by the Holy Spirit. And according to this passage, my spiritual job is to equip you to do God's work. Now, whenever churches get that wrong, obviously you're limited to only what one person can do. And I think sometimes we've experienced that. We've let a few people do most of the work around here. And they've been good people and the church has grown, but, but it's only grown as far as a few people could take it. Because honestly, some of us seem to have the idea that our job is just to show up, just to attend. And surely you understand, I mean, you do, right? That, that, that Jesus didn't die on the cross just so you could attend church on a Sunday morning. I mean, you know that, right? And God didn't place me in this church just to do all the work. And then, and then so then you can send me an email later and tell me I did it wrong. You understand? That's not exactly how the church is supposed to be forming mature believers. Everyone receives some manifestation of, of grace. And it's the strangest way to use the word grace. I mean, just wrap your head around it. But... But, but grace that saves us is also the grace that, that, that resides in our heart and then gives us this expression. I mean, I mean, God hides something away inside of me that you need. 
And only when we come together and only when we begin to put our lives together do we begin to find out what part of me you're supposed to add and what part of you that I'm supposed to add. This is the way that Christ has put the church together. Gifts are people. They're jobs. But, but you got to understand, there's just no way that you can experience the life that Christ has for you if you don't involve yourself with the people of God. Now, now the problem is, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, but he doesn't completely fix us all together. I, I mean, what the Scripture says here is that the, the, the ultimate point is that we're going to be mature in the Lord. We're going to be just like Christ. I mean, that's what verse 13 says. We're going to be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The problem is we're not there yet. So I have this gift inside of me that you need in order to grow, but, but I'm still a really imperfect person. I am not quite like Christ yet, and you're not either. So that's the difficulty. When we all come together, we get on each other's nerves. Is it just me? Because y'all get on my nerves. I, I mean, sometime. And I get on your nerves. I mean, we're just not perfect. God put this beautiful gift of grace in your life, but you still have bad breath. I mean, you understand? I mean, God put this incredible gift in your life, and, and we need your gift, but my goodness, you still gossip. You gossip. You, you, you drive us nuts. I mean, God put this incredible gift in your life, but, 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 but we still can hardly stand to be around each other. It's just kind of the, the mess and beauty of the church, we're people on the way to becoming like Christ, but, but we got a long way to go, a long way to go. But for the sake of loving one another, we endure each other. And for the sake of, of finding out what it is that God's put inside of you that I need, I'm going to learn to overlook all of your faults, and you're going to have to do the same thing with me. You understand? Because God answers needs by giving us people. And I honestly believe that every single church has exactly the people that God thinks they need. I don't think there's anything in the world that, that, that we need to do right now that God hasn't given us people to do. But the answer is always going to be people. And never a perfect person. Just an ordinary person like you, but, but one that has the Holy Spirit and a manifestation of grace tucked away inside. And, and one that's on the way to becoming like Christ. God always uses people. And that means every single one of us has to know how to love and has to know how to work. Dig into verse 13 with me. I've already referred to it. Let's go there. This will continue, this loving and working. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Not just this church, the goal of every church is mature believers. Yes, we want to win the loss. We want everybody to come to Christ, but, but, but we don't just get them to come to Christ and put their name in a book and say that we're done. No, that's just the beginning of a, of a long process where we come in together and we become more like Christ. But, but we need each other for that. We absolutely need each other. Go to verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, 
Let's say that again. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Isn't that amazing? As each person does his own work, her own work, then, then we help each other grow. It's just amazing that God has put us together in such a way where we're not complete until we come together because everybody has a piece of this puzzle. You ever gone on a mission trip with Rhodes Hester? A number of you have. It's interesting because Rhodes sort of takes over and you want him to because he's awesome. But going to Honduras with Rhodes and Rhodes said, Brother Tim, they're going to let you have two bags. You bring me one of your bags. I'm thinking, where will I put my hair dryer? You know, but, but Rhodes doesn't care about that. He just says, you're going to have two bags. You bring me one of your bags. And that's what you do with Rhodes. So you, we used to drop a bag off at Rich Pond Market when Rhodes was still there. And Rhodes would just take your empty suitcase and he'd pack it for you. Pack it. So you've got your suitcase that you packed with your hair dryer. Then you've got this other suitcase that weighs nine tons now that Rhodes Hester packed for you. And you get it on the way to the airport. So you get all the way to Honduras, and you got these two bags, one that you packed and one that was packed for you, and you have no idea what's in it to a roadster. So say, hey, Brother Tim, I need the corn that's in your suitcase. I said, I've got corn? Yes, you've got corn. Brother Tim, you got the meat for Tuesday night supper in your suitcase. I need you to bring that. I mean, he would put meat in your suitcase. He would. He, he, he would. Uh, the, the point is, I didn't even know what was in that suitcase, but... But there were things tucked away in my suitcase that everybody else was going to need through the week. And the same thing was true with everybody else's second suitcase. Rhodes packed it. He had an amazing plan where we would eat and serve and give stuff away. But the point is, we all needed everybody. You had no idea really what everybody else had. But when we put it all together, we managed to fulfill the mission. And it's sort of like that in the church all the time. You see, the, the fact is when you were born and God sent you into the world and then when Christ saved you and you got the Holy Spirit and he sent you into this church, he tucked some things away inside of you. And you don't even always know what they are. And that's part of why the scripture says don't be ignorant. You need to learn. You need to explore. You need to know what it is that you can do. But because it's not just about you, it's, it's for the church. I mean, notice what Paul says. As each member does his own special work, it helps the others to grow. So in a really interesting way, spiritual growth, maturity, is tied up with work. So in other words, if you don't serve, if you don't work, you won't grow. This is why you can attend church periodically or some of even every Sunday. And you come and you sit in the pew and you listen and you sing along and you pray. But, but nothing ever happens. You don't seem to become any more like Christ or any closer to God. This is what I'm explaining to you. Real maturity in Christ comes by loving and, and, and working. You can't grow if you don't serve. But, but what is more... I can't grow if you don't serve. And you can't grow if I don't serve. There are things tucked away in each of our hearts that the rest of us need. And if you sit on your gifts, if you refuse to love us, or if you continue to avoid working for the Lord, you understand? You actually do harm to the rest of us. Because we need you. 
simply the way Christ has put the church together. We just can't do it without each other. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, if we had your eyes to see this church, if, if we knew what you had packed inside us and each other, it seems like it would be so much easier, Lord, if you would draw us a map and connect the dots for us so that we could see how our lives fold into one another. But, Lord, you don't give us those eyes to see, nor the map that connects all the dots. You just simply bring us together and you simply ask that we surrender to you, that we learn to love you most of all and then learn to love each other, overlooking faults and forgiving, using all the fruit of the Spirit so we don't kill each other. You bring us together so that we can love, and Lord, you bring us together and assign special duties to all of us so that we can learn to work together. Lord, teach us how to love and how to work. Make Woodburn Baptist Church a place where Christians become mature believers, not just perpetual spiritual infants. Lord Jesus, give me the grace to do the job you've given me, not to try to do the whole church's job. Teach me, Lord, how to equip others. Teach me, Lord, how to celebrate when others do the work. Lord Jesus, we love you, and some of us come into this house today with serious spiritual needs. Lord, only you can meet those needs. So we come to you now, Lord, in worship and in prayer, asking you to make up for everything that's broken, missing in our lives. Lord Jesus, whatever problems and needs we have, we know that you answer that with a person, and the first person that you send is Jesus. Help us to turn to Jesus and then begin to see that behind Jesus is a long, long line of all those who belong to Jesus, that you bring into our lives. Teach us how to love each other and work together so that we can grow and be like Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.